So let me ask you this as a means of introduction. Has anybody ever played the what if game? It's, it's not really a game. It's more a, a thing that you might uh, do in your head and, and not really want to say out loud, but you ask, what if? And, and this is what I mean. Have, have you ever wondered what your life might be like if you didn't do something or if you did do something? Or maybe what if what your life would be like if you uh, went to a different school? If you maybe even, you know, uh, had different parents. As a teenager, maybe, uh, or a younger adult, you might have wondered what your life might have been like if your parents weren't so mean to you. They didn't, you know, come down on you so hard. We play this what-if game a lot, of, a lot in our lives, and uh, Greg is not here. He's the only one that possibly could have gotten this reference, this early 90s reference, but I'm, so I'll, I'll save it and maybe for him. But uh, if, if you are curious and you want to go home later today, you can look up uh, this, uh, this guy. His name's Skilo. It's not ringing a bell, right? He had this... All right, David's got it. Skilo had this song back in the early 90s called I Wish. And so his, uh, his song is all about this what if. He's a guy, he's, you know, not so tall. And so he, uh, he wishes that he was a little bit taller so that he could be a baller. And if he had, you know, the looks, he could get the girls and on and on and on. So um, we all can play this what if game in our minds. We wonder about, you know, the events, the circumstances of our lives, how they've played out. Could they have played out differently? Would we be who we are now? Would we be where we are now? Would we have the friends, the family that we have? Would we be sitting in this church right now? Could our lives have played out differently if we would have made different choices, if we would have been born into different families, if we would have been born in a different time or a different place even. So I'm sure that we've all, at some level, asked this what if. But what we're really wondering about is the providence of God. Either we believe that we live in a world of unplanned chaos, or that our lives are the products of luck or fate or some other randomness, or we believe that there is a sovereign God who acts in his creation according to his holy character. It's basically the two choices that we have. I trust that most of us, hopefully all of us, believe in the providence of God. Maybe it would be helpful to define what I mean by providence. So as one theologian defines it, it's that continued exercise of divine energy whereby the Creator preserves all His creatures, is operative in all that comes to pass in the world, and directs things to their appointed end. I think this definition accords with Ephesians 1. Specifically, if we listen to verse 11, it says, "...in Him we have obtained an inheritance." having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. See, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. This is providence. There is no random chaos at work. There is no God of fate. There is no deity that's capricious and acts and changes his mind based on what we do. There is a God who has declared before the foundations of the world what will come to pass. And he is working in his creation to assure that his good and right plans come to pass. This doesn't mean, though, that we are mindless robots that have no choice in the decisions that we make. But what it does mean is that God is actively involved in his creation as he, as is his right as the creator, brings about through means that we may never understand all things according to his perfect counsel. So there's this tension that we have to live with. If this is God's world, his creation, as the creator, he is sovereign over it. He has declared what will come to pass, and he has means that we may never understand to bring about those purposes. We, on the flip side, make choices, make real choices each and every day. How do we explain that? 
If you have the answer, please see me after the service. So, what does this have to do, what does this what-if game have to do with the book of Ruth? Well, a lot. What does it have to do with our lives? A lot. When we're in the midst of difficult situations, difficult relationships, our current life isn't what we would like it to be. Maybe we're struggling with rebellious kids. Maybe our marriage is fraught with tension. Maybe we've been divorced. Maybe we've, been, we've never been married. Maybe we want to be married. Maybe we struggle with the choices that we have made. Maybe we're having problems at work, family, neighbors. We wonder what life might be if we had made different choices, if we were born a different place, a different time, if we didn't live where we live, if we hadn't gone to school where we went to school. Lots of choices that we can look back and play the what-if game. But friends, if we truly trust in the providence of God, let us not ask, what if we had done something differently? Or what if we had made this choice or that? But rather ask, what is? What is God doing in the midst of this difficulty? What is God doing in the midst of this tense relationship? What is God doing in the midst of the chaos that we find in the culture around us? What is? is the better question to ask. But understand, we may never find the answer that is completely satisfactory to us, but you will find what God wants you to know, namely, that he is faithful, that he shows loving kindness, that he protects and provides for his children. And this is the story of Ruth. So just as a heads up, I might uh, give away some spoilers. So if um, you haven't read this book that's been around for several thousand years, you can close your ears. But Ruth is a story of God's providence in the lives of these three main characters, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. There are myriad ways in which God in his providence shows his faithfulness to these three individuals. This faithfulness is meaningful in so, so many ways. Ways that are temporal, ways that apply to their earthly lives, and many of these we're going to talk about later. But having read this story and believed this story, we see that there is another act of God's providence to faithfully fulfill a promise that began way back in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve. It's that promise, it's God's providence that he kept Noah and his family alive during the flood. It's that promise, it's that faithfulness that God established that covenant with Abraham with Isaac, and with Jacob. It's that promise, it's that faithfulness, that covenant that kept Joseph alive for all of those years in Egypt to bring him about to be second in command of all of Egypt that, kept, that God used to keep his people alive during that famine of seven years. We see that God is faithful and that he is providentially acting to bring about his good and wise counsel. So I'm not going to give away any more spoilers. And this is a plug. If you want to know what happens, you have to be back the next two weeks. So if you would, now stand with me as we read God's Word in Ruth chapter 2. If you uh, don't have a Bible, you can use the, uh, the black one there in the pew. It's on page 28, I believe. And if you uh, are in need of a Bible, we would like to gift you one, and you can find those in the back. They're the blue ones there. Please take one for yourself or someone that you may know that would need a Bible. Ruth 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, 
She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Then Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, how you left your father and mother, your native land, and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and full, a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me, spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves. Do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. She told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until you have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law, Ruth or excuse me, her mother-in-law. This is the word of God. So our first point, God's faithfulness to Naomi. At the beginning of chapter two, we're introduced to a few new characters. We also have the old characters, Naomi and Ruth. We see Boaz, we see Boaz's overseer, his young men, his young women. But what I want us to take note is how many times God is mentioned. It is Yahweh, the covenant God, that is the major character in this chapter, and the story is the whole story. It is God who is providentially weaving the thread of the gospel through the story arc of each character to reveal a beautiful story of faithfulness, hope, loving kindness, and redemption. There's so much that's going on behind the scenes of this story. This is how it is in our lives as well. What you see is not always the full reality of the situation. If you're like me, we can be very good at pretending that everything is a-okay. When in reality, marriages are tough, parenting is tough, work is tough, extended family is tough, life is tough. We can feel anxious, stressed, worried, depressed, yet, in the midst of all of this, God is at work. In the book of Ruth, we can see God's faithfulness displayed in his loving kindness at work in and through his people for their good and the glory of his name. He's at work to keep his covenant promises. If you notice in verses 1 and 3, we're introduced to Boaz. It's noted that Boaz is a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, who's a relative of Naomi's deceased husband, and that Boaz happens to own a field. Now, this Hebrew word worthy has a range of meaning. It can refer to a mighty man, a man of wealth, a man of stature, a man of integrity, one of good character, valor, honor. 
What we find here in chapter 2 is that this word is used for Boaz, and all of these can be used to describe Boaz, as we'll come to see. Now, Boaz's name means in him is strength, which I think we'll find to be true in multiple ways. The last thing I'll note is that it's interesting, or maybe we could say providential, that sandwiched between the mentions of Boaz in verses 1 and 3 is this remark by Ruth, when she says, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. In the the adult Bible uh, uh, Sunday school, uh, Adam was talking a little bit about um, how his teachers did him a disservice by not talking about uh, and instilling in him a love of, of literature. One of the, one of the things that makes a, a story really, really good is this, how well they are at foreshadowing what's to come. And so sandwiched in between verses 1 and 3 is some pretty serious foreshadowing. We see Ruth say, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Keep that in mind as we move on. But the main thing I want us to draw from these first few verses is God's faithfulness to Ruth. If you remember back in chapter 1, or excuse me, God's faithfulness to Naomi. If you remember back in chapter 1, we're reminded that Naomi returned to Bethlehem seemingly without hope. She was empty. She even, she even said to the, those women there to call her Mara, meaning that God has dealt with her bitterly. She was feeling, we might say, abandoned by God. Naomi and Ruth had returned at the beginning of this barley harvest, for Naomi had heard that the Lord had given his people food back in Moab. She had heard that God had blessed his people with food. If you remember a little bit of the context, they're here. They went to Moab because of the famine in Judah. They went to Moab to get food because there was no food in Judah. They go to Moab and her husband dies. Her sons die. Then she's out in the field. She hears these women talking about how God had blessed his people in Judah with food. So they return. They choose to leave, and they go back to Moab. I want us to notice, though, that they chose to leave, but the verse 21 of chapter 1 tells us that it was God who brought Naomi and Ruth back to Bethlehem. Over and over in the Old Testament, we see that what people meant for one thing, God meant for another. Joseph's brothers, for instance, they meant to sell him into slavery because of their jealousy. But again, God meant it for his purposes, to save his people during another famine. This is the key if we want to see and understand God's faithfulness to Naomi as he weaves these arcs of these characters and their circumstances together to tell this story of redemption. We have to understand that we make choices, but God is at work in ways in which we will not, may not, ever understand. Now, Naomi speaks only a few words in these first few verses. Here in verse 2, she says, Go, my daughter. Now, take this for what it's worth. This is me speaking. But it's almost as if she can barely muster the strength to speak these few syllables. In my mind, I picture Naomi and Ruth sitting in a bare room, darkened before the sun has risen. Naomi feels as though God has emptied her, abandoned her, feeling of hopelessness all around her. She's lost her husband, her sons, and now it's just her as a widow, a poor widow. It's just her with Ruth, another poor widow. If you know about the cultural context of Ruth, to be a widow is to be alone. To be a widow is without any standing in this culture. You're dependent upon, as a, as a woman, you're dependent upon a husband, a son, or someone else. 
So she has lost her standing in society. She's lost her security. She's lost her future. She is dependent upon the goodness and kindness of others. And so when Ruth says she should go out and glean, without even lifting her eyes to look at Ruth, Naomi just says, go, my daughter. We might ask, and we should ask here, where's Naomi's trust in her God? Where's her faithfulness to the covenant Lord? Maybe you can relate to Naomi. Maybe you have felt heartache or loss in such a way that it affects you spiritually, emotionally, physically. Maybe you felt the sting of betrayal by a friend or a close family member. Maybe some are experiencing unmet expectations that leave you frustrated, angry, stressed, worried, fearful. Maybe the spouse that you're married to isn't the spouse that you thought you were going to marry. Maybe your kids aren't the kids that you hoped for. Don't start asking what if, but ask what is. What is God doing? Friend, you cannot give yourself trust and faith in God. You cannot manufacture it on your own. But we can be reminded from the psalmist in Psalm 40 of a God who hears. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Now Ruth, it seems that, oh, that Ruth has understood and, and read these verses, though she didn't have access to them. Because she seems to be of a different sort. In verse 2, we see Ruth talking to Naomi. And she says to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. We see Ruth taking initiative, knowing that if she doesn't, there's a very good chance that she and Naomi will starve. She understands the Hebrew law as noted in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Let me read Leviticus 23, 22. It says, And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleaning after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord, your God. Now, why would a Moabite know that? Specifically, why would this Moabite know that? The answer we see is in Ruth, chapter 1, verse 16. Ruth declares to Naomi that Naomi's God will be her God too. Be reminded of the providential faithfulness of God, and to Ruth, of course, but also to Naomi, to bring about salvation to Ruth, that even while she was a Moabite enemy, God opened her eyes and heart to the truth of her need. See, even in this, God was at work. When we are reminded of who the Moabites were, we understand more fully and deeply the grace that was shown to this Moabite. Notice also how often Ruth is referred to as a Moabite. When something's repeated in Scripture, it's for emphasis. Take note, over and over and over, she's referred to as the Moabite, or from Moab, or the Moabitess. These were the enemies of God and his people. So we should be reminded that this love that was showed, shown to this Moabite, it's the same love, it's the same God that sent Paul to the Gentiles in the first century. It's the same God that showed faithfulness and love and mercy and grace to me, to you, to everyone that has repented and called upon the name of Jesus. Be reminded of that. Be humbled by that. Now, Ruth and Naomi are widowed, poor, and desperate. In these first few verses, we see the faithfulness of God toward Naomi as he begins to prepare her for the revelation of this Redeemer. First, and it may seem a strange providence, but God showed his faithfulness to Naomi in the salvation of Ruth. We have to be reminded of why Naomi was even in Moab. Because she, her family, they chose to leave Judah and go to Moab for food. 
While she was there, her two sons were married to Moabite women. Providentially, one of them was Ruth. In marrying Ruth to Malon and causing the deaths of Elimelech, Chilion, and Malon, also in letting Naomi hear about the food that God had blessed his people with back in Judah, we see that God is at work providentially to bring about his plans that he had purposed long before Naomi and her family went to Moab, long before Ruth was ever born, long before she was ever married to Malon. It was God's faithfulness that he gave this law to the Israelites all those years ago. It was his faithfulness that caused the rain and the sun to grow the barley. It was God's faithfulness that brought Naomi and Ruth back to, Be back to Bethlehem, and so it was also God's faithfulness to bring Ruth to a field so that two widows could be blessed by a man named Boaz. It was God's faithfulness that also ultimately, through this, all the nations of the world would be blessed through the offspring. Friends, God is faithful in so many ways. We're reminded from his word in the book of Job where it says, Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? So in the midst of Naomi's difficult life, shouldn't she have been thankful? Shouldn't she have recognized that God is beside her? Let us turn to him and praise him for his faithfulness to us for both the good and the bad. In the midst of hard days with children, another argument with our spouse, unmet expectations from friends, a supervisor that is unreasonable, be reminded of Psalm 40 and cry out to God who is good and faithful to hear. And then be patient to listen and he will direct your path. He will lift you up and put your feet on strong, sturdy rock. Now lastly, in verse 3, we see Ruth setting out to glean in the fields after the reapers. Ruth knows what must be done, and she goes about doing it. And this, too, is an act of faithful obedience to the truth of God's law. Let the hard work of the day be done, not in your own strength and wisdom, but the strength and wisdom from the Lord. But Maybe the most important act of faithfulness by God toward Naomi is that Ruth happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. This may have seemed to be some good luck or fortune or happen chance, but in God's universe, under his sovereign hand, nothing happens by chance or at random. This Hebrew word means chance chanced, so it's emphasizing, making a point, a literary point, to go back to our or you know, how public school has failed us all in not understanding a good story or a good element of a story. But this word here, happened, in the Hebrew means chance, chanced. So the author is kind of in tongue-in-cheek way saying it wasn't just randomness that brought her to this field. It wasn't just some fate that led her in her mind to choose this field over another. It was God's providence in circumstances and people, not just on that day, but years and years and years before that led Ruth to this field belonging to Boaz, the relative of Elimelech. The author is making a point, a point that we should consider, that the creator of the universe is not some transcendent absentee clockmaker God. He's the great I am that is always faithfully working in his creation to bring about all of his plans according to his good and wise counsel. God's faithfulness to himself and his people is evidenced in history. And here we see a glimpse of that faithfulness of God to Naomi. God's faithfulness to Naomi was in ways in which she wasn't even aware that he was acting. But he was faithful to her. She, he was faithful to bring her back at the beginning of the barley harvest to a place where Ruth would go to a field that belonged to Boaz. Now God's faithfulness to Ruth in verses 4 through 16. 
God's faithfulness to Ruth. In verses 4 through, excuse me, 17, we see God's faithfulness to Ruth demonstrated in a few different ways. As we said earlier, Ruth could have ended up in any number of fields, but she comes to the field belonging to Boaz. To understand God's faithfulness to Ruth, we need to know a little bit more about this man, Boaz. So verse 4 says, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Now the author could have just said, Boaz came to the field and began speaking to his reapers. But the author uses this word, behold. Behold. There was anticipation that was brought up in verses 1 through 3 with the introduction of Boaz. We didn't hear a whole lot about Boaz's connection to Ruth and Naomi, other than he was a close relative of Elimelech. But the way in which the author constructed these few verses let us know, we mentioned earlier that foreshadowing, that there was something to anticipate. And here, there's another element of this storyteller's work with the use of this word, behold. This anticipation that was brought up in verses 1 through 3 with the introduction of Boaz, now we see is the satisfaction is fulfilled as we see, behold, Boaz. He is now on the scene. He is coming into the story directly. And it is through Boaz's field that Ruth and Naomi will find food, protection, and more. So we see that this anticipation of the one in whom she will find favor is being fulfilled. It's only temporary food now, but it's pointing us forward to something more. It does go deeper. By including that Boaz came from Bethlehem, which we heard last week, Bethlehem means house of bread, there's another sense in which there is anticipation for someone even greater than Boaz. Boaz is a redeemer. He's a close relative of Elimelech. But this is reminding us and pointing us forward in this story to someone who is a greater Boaz. He's another redeemer from Bethlehem. To understand more about this worthy man, Boaz, and how he's going to be used by God to show faithful, loving kindness, look at this interaction between Boaz and his reapers. And again, in verse 4, Boaz says, The Lord be with you. And his reapers respond, The Lord bless you. So Boaz appears to be a man who has the respect, admiration, and obedience of his workers. And the workers appear to be respected, cared for, and protected by Boaz. These appear to be men and women who belong to the one true God. As we noted earlier, it didn't just happen that Ruth ended up in this field. We don't need to wonder what if, see, God was at work. We ask, what is God doing? God brought Naomi back to Judah. God brought Ruth to this field on the outskirts of Bethlehem, a field that belonged to a worshiper of God, Boaz, a field that was full of workers that worshiped the one true God. Back in verse 5, Boaz recognizes this young woman, and he asks, whose young woman is this? He's not talking about any sort of ownership or anything like that, but rather he's asking, where's her husband? Where's her family that should be taking care of her? Why is she in the predicament that she's in? The overseer explains that she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from Moab. So God's faithfulness to Ruth has already been demonstrated in ways, but now we see it again here, and that she ends up gleaning in this field belonging to Boaz, this worthy man from Bethlehem. God's faithfulness to Ruth is made manifest through the worthy Boaz. He, like Christ, welcomes the weak, the needy, the powerless, the widow, the outsider. He offers protection and provision, help and hope. Yet Christ offers this and so much more. He offers a hope that is everlasting. Not for a day, not for a week, not for a season, but everlasting. We see that God is faithful still in other ways. Looking on in verses 8 through 13, we see that through Boaz, God provides Ruth provision and protection. Boaz speaks kindly to her and tells her to continue to glean to keep close to his young women. The Hebrew word here for keep close is the same word cling or clung used back in chapter 1 
when Ruth clung to Naomi. This word, it's also used in Genesis 2.24 when talking about marriage, the holding fast between the man and the woman. It's used again in Deuteronomy 10 in the covenant with Moses and the giving of the Ten Commandments when it says, You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. So God in his goodness inspired the author here to use the word for clung and to keep close. So we should be thinking in regards to covenant implications in this beautiful story. The faithfulness of a covenant God. This word should bring to mind how Yahweh has been true to his word. How he has protected and provided for his people time and time again. Now back in chapter 2, in addition to being able to glean, Boaz tells Ruth that if she stays in the field, the young men will not touch her, and she will have water for her thirst. He's showing favor to this foreigner, this Moabite woman, by allowing her to glean among his young men and young women, and not just for one day, but for the barley season. And not just for the barley season, but later on we'll see it's for the wheat season as well. The love and kindness of Boaz is overflowing. The faithfulness of God through Boaz is overflowing to Ruth and to Naomi. We see that Ruth finally asks Boaz why he is showing her such favor. Why does he take notice of her? The use of favor in verses 10 and 13 point us back to verse 2 and the grace that was foreshadowed when Ruth said, let me go to the field to glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. God demonstrates his faithfulness to Ruth through Boaz. The foreshadowing in verses 1 through 3, the anticipation of who Boaz was, the fulfillment of in him whose I shall find favor, we see is fulfilled and satisfied in Boaz. But there's an ultimate fulfillment that goes much deeper. There's a hunger that we have that cannot be filled by any food that we eat now. There's a hunger that we have that must be fulfilled by the true and greater Boaz. In verses 14 through 17, God's faithfulness to Ruth is shown in that Boaz goes above and beyond what was normally done or even required. During the mealtime, he welcomes in the Moabite foreigner. He does not show partiality to her, but he treats her with dignity and respect the dignity and respect she deserves as an image bearer of God, but also as a fellow worshiper of Yahweh. should ask ourselves, are we showing partiality in our lives? Do we show any partiality? Are we welcoming in those that we think are different from us? Before church, do we conveniently find things to do so we don't have to have that difficult conversation with someone? After church, do we always congregate with the same people, having the same fellowship? What about at work? Are there people that you avoid at work just so you don't have to engage them in conversation? Are there more subtle ways in which we show partiality? Do we feign pity for the poor and the homeless when in actuality it's disgust and contempt? Do we try to get out of tough relationships by saying we've tried as much as we can, they just won't listen to us, they don't want our help, I'm moving on? Or do we press in? Do we keep going because we know that that's the faithfulness that God would have us to show? This is faithful, faith, being faithfully obedient when we don't try to get out of a tough situation for the sake of getting out of it, but we ask, what is God trying to do in and through this situation, this relationship? What is he trying to do to me? What is he trying to do in this relationship? There are people that God has placed in your life right now. There are situations that God has put you in right now. Don't try to be more than you're capable of being but don't try to do less than you know you ought. God is faithful to you so that you can be faithful to him. If you believe in the providence of God, then you are when, where, and with who you should be. So be reminded of Psalm 40 and ask for his help.
We see in this last part of this second section that Boaz <clears throat> offers Ruth roasted grain such that she has leftovers. We also see Boaz give instructions to abundantly help Ruth by giving her extra, by giving her, pulling out from the sheaves and leaving them lying so she'll see them. He instructs his young men not to rebuke her, not to reproach her, but to let her glean. Boaz didn't have to do this, but in God's grace, Boaz comforted, protected, and provided for Ruth and Naomi. He did this in ways that were above and beyond. We see that Ruth is blessed so much that after she beats out her sheaves, she has an ephah of barley. Now there are some uh, range on what exactly an ephah is, but the best estimate is somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds for one day's work in this time. That would have been enough for uh, one place I read for several months worth of food. You can see, my friends, that God was faithful through Boaz to Ruth and Naomi in the provision, an abundant provision. God is so good and he is so faithful to give us what we need. He's also so good in going beyond just the bare necessities for the here and the now. He does give us temporal blessings to be sure, but he's faithful to walk with us in the midst of dark days as well. He provides light through his spirit and his word and the faithful saints that he's put into our lives. He brings into our lives at just the right time, at just the right moment, what it is that we need. Be faithful to listen. Be faithful to ask. But ultimately, the most important blessing that comes from him are those that last for eternity, specifically the blessing of salvation. Being in his presence, worshiping him, being satisfied in him alone, these are things that no temporal bread, no temporal grain could provide. It is these things that are the fullness of God's faithfulness to us. Now let's turn to God's faithfulness through a Redeemer in verses 18 through 23. In this passage, Ruth returns to the house where Naomi was hopelessly waiting. She arrives with this huge bag of barley. Imagine carrying a big bag of dog food over your shoulder. You got this little Moabite woman carrying this big bag of grain. Can you imagine the sight on Naomi's face? It's way more than she even expected, way more than she could have imagined. In addition, Ruth gives Naomi the leftover food that Boaz had given her. So she had an instant meal. Maybe to our Western affluent ears, this doesn't seem like a big deal. But if you remember verses 1 through 3, Naomi was this poor widow, this poor, hopeless widow, this poor widow without protection, without provision, dependent upon the kindness of others. So even though Ruth was with her, Naomi was basically alone. She had felt that God had abandoned her. She seemed depressed. She seemed resigned to wither in her darkened home, such that she could only barely muster the strength to say, go, my daughter, back in verse 2. Yet, God continued to be faithful to Naomi. I can picture the surprise, and again, this is me going off script here. This is going me extra biblical, so take it for what it's worth. But I can could, I could picture the surprise and the excitement on Naomi's face when she sees what Ruth has returned with. How her, her sullen face, her, her, the, the distraught that she felt that was evident in her eyes has now turned to hope-filled excitement as she sees the abundance 
that Ruth has been blessed with. So she asked Ruth, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? But before Ruth could even answer, Naomi says, blessed be the man who took notice of you. There just seems to be an excitement in Naomi that she cannot contain, a sense of relief that must have washed over her upon seeing how she was abundantly blessed. So Ruth tells Naomi all about her experience, saying that not only had she worked with Boaz gathering so much grain, but that he had provided protection. He provided provision. Naomi replies, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also says something important here. This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. We see here an expression of faith that goes maybe even further than what Naomi even realizes. The Reformation Study Bible points out that the law of redemption now comes into view at this point in Ruth 2. And according to this law, talking about the kinsman redeemer, deliverate law, the nearest male blood relative has the duty of preserving the family name and property, in this case, through a leveret marriage. Boaz is such a close relative or redeemer to Ruth, and this fact now determines the course of action. God is faithful, and he will not forget the ones he loves. The blessings he promises will pass from Boaz to Ruth to Naomi, and eventually to all of the elect. This passage concludes with Ruth finding favor from Boaz. He's taken notice of her, and she has been invited back to Boaz's field to glean. Again, not just for the next day, but for the entire barley season. And not just for the entire barley season, but for the wheat season as well. This was an answer to those without hope. Boaz has taken notice of Ruth, and she will experience protection and provision. Naomi tells her once again to go, but now there is hope in her voice. So we see that Ruth did keep close to Boaz's young women, gleaning until the end of the, harlot, the barley and wheat harvest. And the chapter ends with this final sentence, and she lived with her mother-in-law. At the end of chapter 2, even though things are better for Naomi and Ruth, it's really only a temporary improvement. But the final sentences serve to build the anticipation of what is to come next. Boaz has been introduced. We come to know him as a worthy man, a kind, thoughtful, generous man. He's a close relative who through loving kindness has provided and protected these two widows. We see that there is potential for Boaz to be this redeemer. This beautiful story is more than a story about the return of Naomi and Ruth to Bethlehem, finding provision, protection through Boaz. It's about the sovereignty of God. It's about the providence of God as he works in and through people, circumstances, drought, famine, all to write and reveal a story full of grace, mercy, and love. This is a story about real people thinking real thoughts, feeling real emotions, and experiencing real hunger, pain, despair. But now at the end of the chapter, there are full bellies, contented smiles, happiness, and hope. So brothers and sisters, if you find yourself depressed, anxious, worried, lonely, feeling isolated, don't play the what-if game, but rather be reminded of the good and faithful God in Ruth chapter 2. I think it's sometimes easy for us to play the what-if game. What if I did this or didn't do that? What if this happened or didn't happen? We get so focused on what could have been that we lose sight of what is. Namely, what God has already done through Christ and what he is doing in and through us right now. Recognize that that same goodness, love, mercy, and grace shown to Ruth and Naomi is shown to us today. Through our Redeemer, we too can have hope. For those of us that have found refuge in Jesus, we are no longer empty. Be reminded of how God works for your good and for His glory. Be reminded that He is never far from us and will never leave us nor forsake us. He protects and He provides. 
His loving kindness goes above and beyond anything we deserve or might expect. But friend, if you're here today and you have not trusted in Christ as your only hope, take heart. Ruth was at one time outside the covenant family of God. She was an enemy, a Moabite. Yet again, we see the providential grace of God and that she found herself married into a Jewish family. God's people. And it was in this context that God opened her eyes and her heart to understand who he was and her need to seek sweet refuge in him. As we saw in chapter 1 and again here in chapter 2, verse 12, Ruth was brought into the covenant family of God. And so, friends, you don't have to remain outside. You, too, can be brought into the family of God. Repent, believe, trust, and take refuge in Him. God has provided a Redeemer, and His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank You. And we praise you for your faithfulness to a people that are constantly in need of it. We pray, Father, that we would be mindful of, of how you act in history to bring about your good and perfect plans, of which we are so thankful that we, as your children, are a part of. And so I pray, Father, that as we continue on into Ruth 3 and 4, in the coming weeks, that we would become even more aware, that we would gain a deeper, deeper understanding of what it is that you have done in your creation, in history, in time, to bring about your Son to fulfill the plan that you put into place long ago, to redeem and reconcile a sinful people back to yourself. Through the blood of Christ, we have been brought near. And so we pray in his name. Amen. Mm -hmm.